Hello and welcome back to the Unreported World podcast. I'm Krishnan Girimurthy. Four decades ago, Cambodia suffered one of the most shocking atrocities of the 20th century. More than 1.7 million people were killed and hundreds of thousands of families were forcibly separated by Pol Pot's regime, which wanted to break loyalties to anything but the state. Now a reality TV show is reuniting families, and I joined the team as they were putting together their most emotionally charged edition ever. Two sisters, separated as children, meeting again, with an even bigger surprise in store. It's one of the biggest TV shows in Cambodia. Every week, It's Not a Dream pulls in massive audiences as it reunites families after decades apart. They're survivors of the Khmer Rouge regime, which killed millions. This is reality TV with ambition, healing wounds from one of Cambodia's darkest and most painful legacies. Four decades ago, Cambodia suffered one of the worst atrocities of the 20th century. We've all heard of the killing fields of Cambodia when 1.7 million people were killed as the Khmer Rouge communists of Pol Pot reigned here with terror for four years. What's less well known is how families here were deliberately and systematically separated and they are still paying the price today. In the capital, Phnom Penh, a small television team is working to bring those separated families back together. This is uh, the studio where we are going to have our reunion programs. And in front of you, we will have a big stage. Soka Yu created the show in 2010 and is now its series producer. She's 35 years old. You weren't even born in the 1970s, were you? No, I didn't. So you've got no recollection yourself of what yes. happened? but my mother was. They have probably 20 members in a house, and 19 were dying during that war, except her. Soka believes hundreds of thousands of people remain separated. The team has a huge backlog of cases that will take years to get through. So can you tell me about this week's show? Uh, this week is about a reunion program for a woman who is living in the United States. And we have found her younger sister who is living in Kampong, Chenang province right now. This week's story, she says, is unlike any they have put on TV before. It's the best. It's the best talk show ever we are going to have. It's a very surprise one. You're, you're being a little cryptic. Is, is there, are, you, are you holding something back from me? <laughs> no, maybe maybe just just follow it and and it will it we will reveal it on the talk show day okay hello this is it's not a dream people contact the show's hotline with their cases every day it's here in this crowded little office that cambodia's dark history collides with modern day showbiz it's as though hundreds and thousands of those stories of separation are just floating around in the air here until they collide to find a match. There are no effective government services to help separated people, and although the Red Cross does some work in this area, 
it's Soka's team of 12 that have proved the best at it. Reuniting families involves months of painstaking detective work to find relatives and confirm matches. Could you rewind the footage? But their most powerful tools are TV and radio. The team travels across Cambodia, recording appeals from people searching for their relatives. People who come to us, they say the same thing. It is their last hope that they come to us. So their dream and hope uh, depends on us. It's Monday, six o'clock. The time of the week that It's Not a Dream broadcasts its appeals. These are desperate pleas. From across the country, over the airwaves. Hoping against the odds that after all this time, their loved one is still living. Still out there. And with a bit of luck. Watching. The message is always the same. I'm alive. I'm here. Please find me. The crew meets one of the long-lost sisters in this week's show, Siv Hong. She's just flown in from the United States. How are you? I'm fine. Everything okay this morning. After years in a refugee camp, Hong began a new life in Texas in 1984. She's now married, has two children, and runs a donut shop. Joining her on this trip, her daughter, Neri, who was born and raised in America. What made you first get in touch with the programme? Because Bay on TV is famous for helping people find relatives. Hong first contacted the team two years ago, but she doesn't know they've since found her sister. She's been told she's here just to film another appeal. I am your sister. My name is Lai Siv Hong. I miss you very much. Do you miss me? I've come to find you. You can see how close to the surface Hong's pain is. She's been telling the most harrowing tale of her early life as a child, and she's pinning absolutely everything on this. Hong has good memories of life in Phnom Penh as a little girl. But in 1975, the Khmer Rouge regime emptied the cities and forced families to separate. We enjoy before, you know, we don't have war. I'm very happy, you know. Before I live with all my family. The Khmer Rouge forced Hong to move north with her father and younger sister. Her mother and other siblings were sent to a different part of the country. Word eventually reached Hong that her five brothers and sisters had all starved to death. Do you know what happened to your mother? No. She think um, me die, or I think her die. I can't find her. You know? Hong and her little sister were the only ones that she knew had survived. For a while, an old lady took them in. 
but there wasn't enough food. So each sister was sent away to live with a different family. They never saw each other again. I really want to say goodbye to her, but I don't have chance. I don't know, I can help home my tale, you know, when I talk about all my story. You know, I'm crying, you know. Later that day, I join Hong and her daughter as they visit the famous killing fields at Chungek, which have been preserved in memory of the genocide. I mean, do you know much about what happened? Does your mum talk, talk to you about it? A little bit. I, I get really overwhelmed, so I usually just walk away. I don't, I, I can't handle it. The Khmer Rouge wanted to create a farming-based communist utopia. They banned religion, private property, and the use of money. Everyone was forced to work in the fields, and anyone who might be a threat was tortured into confessing treason and then killed. There are mass graves like this all over Cambodia. More than 20,000 have been documented so far, each linked to a prison or torture centre. And if the scale of it is mind-boggling, the way people died is even worse. Often, to save ammunition, people were not shot dead. Instead, their heads were smashed with wooden clubs or farm tools. They fell into ditches they had dug themselves. So, I don't know, maybe my dad, they pick it up, put it here, I don't know which one. Is that what you're thinking? Yes. We got a lot of scale, you know. They didn't put lamb in there. Hong tells me how her father died. He'd fallen out of a tree trying to gather coconuts and was no longer able to work in the fields. So a Khmer Rouge soldier killed him. He, he shot my dad. And my dad fell out, looked like a tree. And all the blood come out just like fire, just like water. That's what I, you know... You were standing there? Huh? You were standing there watching yeah, us? Yeah, I was standing there, yes. And I really don't know what I'm doing. You know? I'm really scared, you know? But I don't know what I'm doing because I'm young. How, how could people do this? I don't know what idea they kill for, but they like to do that. We're heading out to Kampuchinang province. This is rice farming territory. And fingers crossed, we're here to meet Hong's sister, Bo. It's a long way from Texas. Bo heard her sister's original appeal and contacted the It's Not a Dream hotline. She knows a reunion is imminent. What will you say to her? 
That even if she's poor, she's still my sister. She says that after meeting her sister, she will feel complete. I look at other people. They have siblings and stayed together with their parents. But I lost mine. I live without any brothers and sisters. Bo is a rice farmer. She's led a hard-working but happy life. She's married and has four children. But she says she's always felt haunted by the past, even though her memories of it are foggy. We ran away from the Pol Pot regime. It was only the two of us. So you do remember your sister? Yes, I remember her name is Hong. You don't remember her face? I don't remember clearly. I was young. It's what Bo has lost that is so striking, a lifetime with her sister and all those memories. She was clearly so traumatised, age seven or eight, that she's blocked everything out. She has no recollection of her sister or her parents. And I can't help but be really excited at the thought of this reunion because I know how much it's going to transform her life forever. The next afternoon, I visit Tol Sleng in the capital, known as S21. It was once a school, but the Khmer Rouge turned it into one of their main torture centres. Anyone accused of plotting against the regime was brought here, along with their families, and brutally tortured. At least 17,000 people came through these doors. Only a handful survived. You see the instruments of torture or the pictures of death. You think about the atrocity, the dreadful act. But when you see these images of prisoners alive and terrified, you think about the person, the individual loss of life. And that's, in a way, much more overwhelming. Not all the culprits went unpunished. The Cambodian government, together with the United Nations, has created a special court to hold to account the leaders who masterminded the Khmer Rouge atrocities. The trials are ongoing and televised. But many people feel disillusioned. After eight years, only three people have been convicted. One of the people who testified was Prak Khan, a former Khmer Rouge soldier. Back then, they had the power to give us orders. We had to do it. For three years, this soft-spoken man was an interrogator at S21 who tortured hundreds of people. After you had tortured people, what would happen to them? After it was done, we put them back in prison. Whenever it was the day to kill them, they would all be collected together. We've spoken to one person who lost her family, and when I ask her about how she feels about the Khmer Rouge, she can't understand how people like you did what you did. What, what explanation would you give her? Let me tell you how it was. The rule at that time, if you didn't follow any of the orders that were given, they would kill you. 
When the regime fell, most Khmer Rouge soldiers, like Prak, melted back into society, sometimes living side by side with their victims. Prak's wife, Vol, tells me she only found out about her husband's past several years into their marriage. How did you feel when you found out? I felt scared. My relatives owned businesses. Many of them were killed by the Khmer Rouge. Do you forgive him for what he's done? I don't know. How can I get angry? We already had five children. Whether Prat Khan and people like him should be allowed to live in peace or should be pursued through the courts has been the great dilemma facing this country ever since the end of the Khmer Rouge. The modern Cambodian government seems clear. It does not want to pursue people at his level. They say reconciliation demands people now living together. The big day has arrived. Sokka is leading a rehearsal. There are so many details to get round. They've got to get these two sisters into this small studio without them realising that they are about to be reunited. Because I'm very excited with the show and I'm wearing a different pair of shoes. <laughs> By accident? <laughs> yes. First to arrive, Hong and her daughter. How are you all feeling today? Excited. While the team have confirmed nothing, Hong clearly suspects she's going to be reunited with her sister. Try to answer with what you can remember. Soka takes her through the questions on the show, but she's also lowering Hong's expectations, suggesting she's just here to make another appeal. Every answer will help my team find new leads. The subterfuge maintains the element of surprise. This is, after all, television. Next up is Bo. It's the first time she's back in Phnom Penh since she was forced to leave with her family 40 years ago. they're going to be kept up here in the boardroom, away from anybody else. Unlike her sister, Bo knows they will be reunited today. You look, you look very serious. How are you feeling? Scared. Don't be scared, act normal. I think you're worried. I'm scared. The audience are in, everybody is in their place, the lights are on, it's showtime. I would like to welcome you again to It's Not a Dream. Hong is invited on stage and starts talking about her life. In 1975, they evacuated and separated us from each other. Just behind the set, Bo hears for the first time the story of her family 
and their separation. You ran away with your younger sister. How difficult was that for you? Very difficult. There was nothing to eat. The host invites Hong to look at the screen for a special message. My name is Bo. I was separated from my older sister. Do you remember her? Yes. Do you want to meet your sister who you haven't seen for nearly 40 years? Yes. I've been waiting for you, sister. Are you both feeling happy? I'm so happy, nothing can compare to this. Look at these. Do you know the people in these pictures? This is Hong and Bo's family in 1975. Hong recognises them immediately, but she's never seen these photos before. Well, Hong and Bo have been reunited, but it's just become clear that there is an even bigger surprise. Hong and Bo must be wondering who else is still alive and gave these photos to our programme. Siv Hong and Bo, I've tried to find you many times but couldn't. I miss you very much. If you hear this, hurry up and find your mother. Do you recognise the person in the video? Yes, she is my mother. Do you two want to meet your mother? Yes, we want to. Mother, I was so worried thinking about you. I'd met Tai Sumoy before the show. Under the Khmer Rouge, she had watched five of her seven children starve to death. Then came news her husband had been killed. I lost hope. I just walked looking for relatives and never found any. She never knew what happened to her two remaining girls. The hope they had survived became her reason to live. I always imagine their faces as if they were small, like in the photos. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> what do you think? I feel happy and excited. Very excited. What happened when your mum came out? Do you have any idea? I don't have no idea. I thought she only died, so I meet my mother back. I don't want us to separate. We want to be together like a family. A new set of relatives are introduced, and the whole family pose for a portrait, together for the first time in 40 years. Thank you.
The big question is, what now? And they don't seem to have any idea. They don't know where they're sleeping tonight, how they're all going to stay together, or what the future may bring. But you feel certain that they are staying together one way or another. The Unreported World podcast accompanies the critically acclaimed Channel 4 television series. Explore more by visiting channel4.com slash unreportedworld, where you can watch full programmes on demand from anywhere in the world. Also, join the discussion on Unreported World's Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next week, from me, Krishnan Giri Murthy, goodbye. <laughs>